Well, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project. I'm so excited that you're tuning in to another podcast episode. This week, we're continuing like we did last week with a conversation from our Preaching in the Culture Pastors and Leaders Conference, which you can still watch on demand at preachingincculture.com. Shameless plug. Uh, but this conversation is between me and Quiniquia Day on preaching the text of terror. It is a amazing conversation that you need to listen to and share with your friends. I believe it's going to help you as you think through the Bible and those texts of terror. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for tuning into this session. I'm so excited to have a Professor Quiniquia Day with us. Uh, she's been a part of our G3 journey for quite some time. She was at our first Courageous Conversation and has been at all the ones uh, <laughs> since we've had it. Uh, so I'm excited that she's joining us for this conference, um, for this session on tackling the text of terror. Welcome, Professor Day. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm always so surprised that you have me back. So <laughs> glad to be here. Glad to be here and to, um, to talk about this important topic of uh, texts of terror. Yeah. Yeah. For those who, who don't know who you are, just give them a little bit of background. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Professor Day. I teach at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. I teach full-time. Um, I teach in the area of Hebrew language, uh, Hebrew language one and two, Old Testament, the whole range, Joshua, Judges, uh, Exodus is my primary book, but um, pretty much anything in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and I'm the M MDiv advisor. So you also see me at Meacham um, School of Haymanot. I do some work there for them as an adjunct professor. And of course, you can always catch me with Jude 3. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it's exciting to have you back to talk about this important topic. Um, when we think about tackling the text of terror, most people have never heard of a group of texts being called the text of terror. Uh, where does that come from? Yeah, so this idea of text of terror, I mean, you won't even um, hardly hear this in a conservative seminary. So this is this language, uh, you know, really talks about any, well, I won't say any text, but texts which really deal with issues of violence rape and trauma of women uh, in order to sub, uh, subject them to, you know, making them feel subhuman, taking away their life, taking away their rights. Those are texts of terror. You will find some disagreement even amongst um, feminist scholars as to which texts they will label as texts of terror. Um, there's, there's some question about whether, say, David and Bathsheba should be labeled as a text of terror. But I would say in a general way of looking at it, the texts that deal with violence against women, kidnapping against women, rape against women in particular, I would add actually there's a, there's a scene with a man in there too, but um, I might not get a lot of agreement. So I'll, I'll stop there. Mm -hmm. That's really, really helpful. Um, and I think really important to this culture today as we think about the Me Too movement and mm -hmm. different things that's going on, it shows you know, some parallel uh, in the text as it relates to violence towards women. 
why do you think it's difficult for preachers to to go into these texts in general? Why yeah. do they usually shy away from them? Or if they yeah. talk about them, they kind of glaze over it, like not yeah, giving I, that much attention to it. Yeah, this is uh, this is my pet peeve about the whole thing, because, you know, the Bible is for instruction. Right. Then the Bible is to instruct the people of God, to give them guidance. Um, tell us who God is. Right. And so when we skip whole passages, whole books of the Bible, uh, we have a problem. If you just look in the United States alone, I think the statistics from the rape and incest uh, network, um, it's like almost 68, I think 68, every 68 seconds, someone is raped. Mm. And so, and one in four people in America will be raped or know someone that's raped. So women, including men there too. So the fact that we have these huge statistics and it's not spoken of in the Bible, first of all, as preachers and pastors, uh, we really should be ashamed of ourselves because we say the Bible is there for instruction, but we don't use it um, to give instruction in, in these traumatic areas. So I think one of the reasons that we don't know how to even talk about healthy sex or healthy sexuality. So we don't talk about that. We have a problem talking about the Song of Solomon. We can't even say, you know, in which you have this, this, the text is this woman talking about how much she loves her man and he talks about her too, but they start talking about body parts, talk about chest and thighs and breasts and people, you know, they lose their mind. They can't handle the graphic nature of the language. Yet we go home and watch graphic shows. So mm. I think we, we don't know how to talk about healthy sexuality. Um, and then when we talk about uh, rape, we, we just don't know where to go with that. I mean, just an African-American community alone, we know how our ancestors were traumatized by rape. We know how they were subjugated and oppressed and how the, what that did to the family unit. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not surprised that we don't teach about it in the church or we haven't historically, but it's about time that we actually start to do something about that because we can look back and say, okay, we've dealt with a lot of trauma. We really need to talk about it. So sometimes people don't know how to talk about it. We don't talk about healthy sexuality. Our history tells us to shy away from these topics because they've already impacted us in such a negative way. And then I think also that when we talk about it, we're not, we don't know how to be uh, fear in the presentation of it because it, it impacts the heroes of our faith. Oftentimes mm -hmm. the heroes of our faith are spoken of in negative ways and we don't know what to do with that. So, you know, Judah has sex with his daughter-in-law, which they may not classify as a terror text, but she has to trick him in order to get a child because he didn't, you know, come through and give her uh, the next son. David assaults Bathsheba. We have a we have a problem with talking about the fact that I mean, at no point does David say does Bathsheba say she loves David. Right. So we make this this love story. David Bathsheba only talks about grieving her husband, Uriah. And so I think another issue is that we have trouble talking about heroes of faith when they're connected to negative things. The story of in Judges 19, those are Levites, the, the Benjamites, the, the tribes of, you know, the tribes that are being part of the, you know, the covenant. And you have them being a part of uh, throwing a concubine out, letting her being raped all night. So, uh, just to just to stop there, that we have trouble talking about our heroes of faith in difficult ways. But the scriptures are there for our instruction. And, uh, you know, shame on us for not using the scripture in the totality and, and leaving it up to culture 
to do what we can do as Christians. Mm-hmm. That, no, that's I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head right there, especially talking about the heroes of faith negatively. Um, I've said something a while ago about David uh, sexually assaulting or or raping Bathsheba. And it was several men who commented. And it's like, you can't infer that in the text. It doesn't say that he he did that. And I was just like, wow, this is such a this is such a deep thing like that. You can't see David that way. You can see him as a murderer. You can see him uh, as a adulterer, but you can't see him as a, a rapist or somebody who sexually assaults. That yeah. to them goes too far. And it was just yeah. very, very interesting. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it just happens. It's just hard for them to sort of, not just men, but women as well. It's hard for them to, to deal with that. I mean, we don't have a particular word for rape um, in, our, in our Hebrew Bible. We have things like take, like lakach, which is to seize. We have different language, which which or to defile, um, shakach, to lie with. So we know that there are these interactions. But if you just sort of take David and Bathsheba out of it and put different people, they may come with a different uh, result. And then if you look at when the prophet challenges David concerning the matter uh, of assaulting Bathsheba, the the prophet and David agree that the penalty for that is death. That what has happened um, of this, you know, the parable he gives of the, you know, the man taking something that he ought not taken and then sort of and David's like, and he's like, oh, you're the man, David, you're the one, you, you know, you've taken um, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. The scripture always says the wife of Uriah, right? And so um, the penalty is death. So mm-hmm. if the penalty is death, then it is a grievous act that has been committed. And so I, I think if we can get beyond that and say, okay, I can accept that David, the hero of my faith, did something very, very wrong, then I can help other people in our church. We don't, you know, we won't have people, you know, um, struggling with the fact that, okay, you know, well, I won't, you'll always struggle in this area. If, if someone does something terrible, that'll, that will cause you to think twice about your faith and about the person. But if you know that good people who love the Lord have done tragic, horrific things in the Bible and God was still able to pick them up and, and, and use them you know there's redemption available. Mm-hmm. So when we when we think about these texts of terror, um, they they are challenging, especially for women often who are reading them. Um, I, I hear women saying, you know, that especially victims of sexual assault themselves, when they read these passages, sometimes it opens up wounds for them. Yeah. And so... One of the reasons that as I'm thinking about this, this thought just came to mind that some pastors could be kind of apprehensive about broaching these topics is because they don't know what trauma is in the room and they don't want to maybe um, step on an emotional landmine in that sense without necessarily being ready to with all the tools to handle that. So how would you advise pastors as they're thinking through like how to teach this and do yeah. less damage as as little damage as possible and not re-traumatizing people who have experienced these things to speak on them? Yeah, we do more damage by not even trying. You know, mm-hmm. we only we only are trying we only try to assess our own ability when it comes to the terror text. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we're not talking about, we never think, okay, do I have the ability to talk about um, social justice? We don't think about that. Or do, do I, am I equipped to, to talk about um, uh, politics or, or the finances of the world? We don't think about that. We only, it only comes up with these sort of texts. It's like, well, am I capable? And then we say, well, this is a landmine. I'm not, so what we, what we erroneously communicate by not teaching and not equipping the people to deal with the trauma and telling them that God can heal them is we erroneously communicate that that issue is too big for God mm-hmm. because see, I can't teach it. I can't preach it. I can't handle it. It's just too big. So you're off on your own. So where do you, what do you do? So mm-hmm. uh, you go home, you cry silently. People talk about mother's day. For example, this is sort of off topic. They talk about mother's day and, and don't take a moment to grieve them with the mother who has aborted the child. Don't take a moment to grieve that something bad could have happened between mother and child. So we communicate an erroneous message. We say it's too big for God. That's the wrong message. Mm -hmm. We say, I can't do it. God, my church is not equipped. We don't have the resources. We open this up. How are we going to deal with it? So what? So what's the answer then? The shepherd of the church, just let the person hurt. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, as as the shepherd of the body of Christ, you seek the Lord for direction on how to deal with an area that's impacting nearly one out of four people in society. Before Lisa and I finish conversating, we can there'll be a number of people who have been raped in the United States. Before we finish ta- talking about this, and we're talking about reaching the lost, which lost do you want to reach? Mm-hmm. So we, we, I think for those, those pastors who are struggling with this and everybody, no one's perfect. Uh, one of the things you can do is that you can actually uh, train people or send people to uh, rape crisis counseling programs. If you don't feel comfortable, you could at least have someone in your church who is equipped to deal with counseling people. So as you talk about the subject, you can say, we have uh, someone you can talk to. If they don't have someone, we have resources. Here is a program that I've already reached out to that knows that when I begin to talk about this, that there may we might have to make a referral. We're already ready for you. Mm-hmm. We're not going to just leave you there with one Sunday sermon uh, or one Tuesday teaching or one Friday teaching traumatized. We're going to walk you through the healing process. And too often, we as Christians, we just want to preach, you know, the message, you know, you got your money, you got your car. We want, we don't want to teach people how to walk through being assaulted by their father, who's a deacon in the church. Mm-hmm. Those are big things. Yeah. And I think that's so, so needed in the culture today, especially you talked about uh, a child being assaulted by their father. You know, one of the things we miss talking about, but affects so many in our communities is incest. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's affected a lot of people in church communities. And we we don't broach it, I don't think, enough uh, because we people who are not attracted to anybody in their family kind of think that is so far out there. But then right. as you hear the stories, you see like, no, this is a regular occurrence. Cousin right. with cousin, uh, sister and brother, uh, depending on age and power dynamics and uncles right. and aunts and all of those things. 
Right. I mean, you look at the situation with Amnon and, and Tamar. She says, you know, don't don't take me. Don't. Th that's his, you know, half sister. But anyway, they're they're still they have the same father. He says, you know, don't don't do this thing. Don't 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 assault me. Don't rape me. Don't don't seize me. Just ask my father for me, you know, because that could have happened. They could have been married. He just takes her. Anyhow, you look at the situation with even Lot. We don't talk about Lot, uh, but Lot is one of the few stories in the Bible. I, I'm trying to think through if I know of another one. Well, there's the, the attempted assault of Joseph, but that didn't, that didn't go through. So, but Lot is the only story I can think of where you have a man who is, he, he, his daughters get him drunk to the point where uh, they, they go in and lie with him. They have sex with them. So they those children are, incestuous. And the Bible is very clear that Lot did not know when they lie down or when they got up. And even the verbs that are used, the tenses of the, ver the verbs and the hifal and the pial, for those who know Hebrew, there's some, some this causative language that is used here. The, the, um, I'm trying to think of the word for, for drink right now. It's, it's escaping me right now. I think it's shakach, but it's using the hifal. And it, so the, the daughters cause him to drink, to, they get him drunk and they because they're afraid that they won't be able to have children. So we get Moab and we get the Ammonites. But we talk, we don't even talk about that. We just talk about the Moab. This is how the Moabites came about. This is how the Ammonites came about. Well, Lot was assaulted at night and did not know. And we don't, we don't say anything about it. And we, we miss a moment here as well when we just talk about the women. There are many boys, many men who have been assaulted. And people think just because... Uh, you know, he'll, he'll be aroused and he'll, and he'll, he'll, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be stimulated and ejaculate. I'll put it that way. You can cut it out. But anyhow, because he will have this moment in sex that, that is not an assault. Well, any, that's just biological, you know, stimulation is going to cause a result. That doesn't mean that the man wanted someone to do that to them, but we don't talk about men who are raped. We don't talk about boys who are raped and we have people, if we get to know them, they will tell us some stories. We don't talk about the incest. Young boys have been molested by uncles. They can't even talk about it. And so we do need to do a better job because the scriptures are there. We have biblical references mm -hmm. to talk about these bad things. Mm -hmm. I remember I was at a school and I was teaching there and the question was, you know, why even talk about Judges 19? We talk about Judges 19, which has the horrific rape scene because it's in the text. So obviously the Lord wants us to see how evil people get when they don't have God mm -hmm. or when they just dismiss God altogether. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so, so necessary. You brought up um, Judges 19. And one of the things that Dr. Joe Vitale says about passages like that and others, it shows that God will not participate in a religious cover-up. Right. That these things are, even if it seemed like it was overlooked by God, he made it seem, he made sure it was in the canon. So we would have to face the injustices of, like you said, what happens when people turn their backs on God or decide to do what's right in their own eyes and they right. kind of deafen God's commandments. Right. And so it is one of those kind of the descriptive texts we need 
to to get to the reason why there's things prescribed in the law. Yeah, I mean, if you when you look at Judges 19, I have my students read it all the time. They're always so surprised. We read that that chapter along with a, an essay on uh, sex trafficking. So we look at uh, sex trafficking. There's an article, Judges 19 is sex trafficking, um, uh, that we read alongside that passage. And they're always so surprised to see that in the Bible. And I, again, I think that's a poor reflection of, of us as leaders um, because that means we're not doing enough to sort of teach that, you know, that these things are in the Bible. But if you look at the book of Judges, it moves from one level of evil to the next level of evil. It increasingly becomes worse to when the book closes, you go, oh, my God, these people need God. Mm -hmm. And it shows you how evil the world is. But, you know, sometimes people feel like, OK, um, why doesn't God do something about this? You know, we're we're and that's another reason why sometimes preachers don't want to sort of, you know, bring up the topic, because then someone's going to say, well, where was God? Mm -hmm. How come God didn't protect me? I was just a little girl. I was innocent. I was a little boy. You know, I couldn't even fight back. Where where was God in that moment? And so because we're afraid to talk about where was God, we don't talk about it at all. But they're thinking about it, so we need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that, that Judges 19, I think, shows that we often miss, and it happens even in the lot, uh, lot with his daughters when he was about to throw his, his daughters out, that mm. th the men saw rape against other men as a grotesque thing, but some kind of way saw that evil against women as being a less severe, less okay thing. And it yeah. shows how we kind of, in this day, kind of categorize uh, sexual sins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, it yeah. just, it brings out so so many things that people can, can lean into in so, such a rich text. I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, it's, it's troubling in so many areas, too. I mean, these men, they come and they, they, are in, they really want, to, to rape the man. They, that's, that's what their goal is. And the women who don't speak at all at any point, and you can, and I, I'm pretty sure that that is a literary device that the women not speaking in the text is for us to hear them speaking. No woman would not be just horrified at this moment. And so when she's thrown out and she's raped, they, yeah, they settle, they settle for the violence against the women. It's like, oh, okay, this is the best we can get. It, it really shows you that they have devalued the woman. And again, that goes against everything um, that God would want for his people. Mm -hmm. What are some practical tips you would give pastors on how to navigate, how to identify which texts of terror? Obviously, they need to go through all of them. But if they're just starting, what are some markers to say, this is how you begin. What kind of things would you want them, what process and what things would you want them to hit yeah. in that, in that conversation or in that sermon? Yeah, I would, I would say you, you, it is, it is overwhelming when you've never done it before to think about your congregation, to think about your children in the, in the congregation, hearing these words. It's, it's so it's overwhelming. You're going to feel uh, nervous, apprehensive, like, oh my God, what am I doing? But I would say first read the text and then look at the text from the 
vantage point of everyone in the story, from the man, from the woman, from if there's, um, you know, you know, a grandfather, look at it from every vantage point. Don't skip because this is what we, what happens in the David and Bathsheba story. David and Bathsheba is always told from David's point of view, never from Bathsheba's point of view and, and hardly ever from Uriah's point of view. That Uriah, when he, he dies, he has his name is completely cut off. He has no one else to carry his family name. So I would say talk about it from the different vantage points. And you can and even as you're preaching it, you can say, you know, from the perspective of the woman, she would this is what she's experiencing. And just that, you don't have to do everything. You don't, you don't want to give people a steak when they're ready for just mashed potatoes. Just a little bit. You, you could say this here, just you, if you're preaching on something, it's just a sort of a subtopic to your, to your message. This here is wrong. There's nothing like someone saying that what happened to you is wrong. It should not have been. It was evil. And so... I think reading it through and sort of bringing up the different vantage points. Um, also, being open to reading books or commentaries that are not probably in line with your what you're comfortable with, because you know. So, in conservative commentaries, they're not or orthodox ones, which I'm orthodox. You know, Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, and Father, Son, Holy Ghost. You know, I'm, I'm all that. But our liberal sisters and brothers. Pick, pick up things that we have ignored a lot of times. So you need to look at those other commentaries and see what they're seeing. And then prayerfully say, Lord, what instruction can I give the body of Christ at this local congregation to help in this area? You don't have to do everything. You don't have to have a series on trauma. Just, every, just making sure that it's part of your cue of your preaching. Getting the people used to hearing about the text and how God responds to those texts. Well, you say, well, I don't see God responding. Well, look at the life of the people. Look at what happens to David after he sins with Bathsheba. He just, all his children have all sorts of problems. So you can also sort of trace what happens with those people afterwards and see that God is still a just God. So I would say starting off by reading the passage, talking about the different vantage points, looking at commentaries, which may not always sit well with your your theological framework or your orthodoxy because not because that you want them to change you but because they will sometimes see things or talk about things that some of our most recent commentaries are or some of our older commentaries are not talking about mm -hmm. that's that's really helpful and I, and as you're saying that oftentimes we limit these conversations to adults right and right. i think is it very instructive for us to think about children because when people talk about the abuse, they sexual abuse and trauma they experience, it usually happens in their childhood. Right, right. And if we're not talking about, you know, it's wrong for your cousin to touch you inappropriately or right. has your cousin or creating kind of spaces where, where kids have a safe space, even in children's ministry to mm -hmm. talk about these things. So we could, at least if they have been assaulted or if somebody's trying to assault them, they have the tools if their parents haven't went down that, path with them. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's uncomfortable talking to children about uh, matters of sexuality, good touch, wrong touch. Those things are uncomfortable, but we have to do it. We have to prepare. We have to give our children the weapons 
to make it in this world. So when we don't do that, even if you're uncomfortable, I mean, I talk to my children, I've always talked to my children about, you know, these sorts of things. And it's very uncomfortable for me, but I see it this way. If we don't equip our children, then we're sending them out into the world without the the armor that they need. You're sending them ill-equipped to deal with the vices of the enemy. So you, as a, as a loving parent, you know, you can, you can just get, get, there's so many books. If someone touches you there, that's not right. Did someone ever touch you there? Oh, was it a hug? What happened? You know, you, it may be uncomfortable, but you as a parent, as the guardian of the child, you have to equip them to make it in this world. This world is evil and the evil's not going away. <laughs> it's just an evil world. Mm-hmm. So. What other things do you think as we think about, say they preach the sermon on Sunday, mm-hmm. what can they implement in small groups to help people walk through it in a more, uh, to go more in depth? Because I think, you know, you're going to have Sunday morning is a catch all. You're dealing with people right. who are new visitors, unsaved, saved. The people who right. come to Bible study are usually sometimes the most committed and they, right. they can go a little deeper. Right. I would say, you know, what we did at our, at our Bible study, um, my pastor, um, shout out to Deliverance Temple Worship Center in Boston. Woo woo. <laughs> my pastor, uh, she had me do a special topic on, on these sorts of things. And so you can do um, a Bible study session. And so people can emotionally prepare. You mm-hmm. don't want to just, you know, people go to Bible study and all of a sudden they traumatize. <laughs> like, oh my God, we, I thought we was talking about Daniel and the lion's den. And mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what happened? So you want to give people time to prepare emotionally for the topic. You want to give them a heads up of some of the things that they may experience after talking about it, that they may have memories. They may have, um, they may feel depressed. They may feel discouraged. Here is uh, if you're feeling this way, here's who you can call. If you're feeling this way, here's a resource for you. If you're feeling this way, you know, you have to have, you have to have that in place already. So I would say you may having a, maybe a Bible study, but giving people a heads up that this is that in two weeks, this is what we're going to talk about in Bible study. So they can prepare themselves emotionally and they can make a choice whether they want to attend that Bible study because not everybody's ready to hear the topic. Not everybody's in the same position emotionally. Some people want to forget and they never want to remember. Mm-hmm. And so by giving them a chance to, you know, say sort of, well, we're going to do this at that time, you give them a chance to prepare as well. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so helpful. Um, what books and resources would you recommend for broaching hard yeah. topics like this. I know obviously Phyllis Triple Text of Terror would be so yeah. you could get a gist of the list. I, I don't think the list is necessarily complete, but at least no, you'll, you'll, no. you'll have some that you can you can start with. Yeah, I would I would suggest this book right well I'm just looking at this right now. The Absence of God in Biblical Rape Narratives. Now this is by Leah, I'm sure I'm pronouncing the last name wrong, Schultz which is S-C-H-U-L-T-E. I think her middle name is uh, Rediger. It's uh, is, is German. So um, I think that, that, from what I see, that came out in 2017. I think it does a better job than Triple Books does because it's going to give you some exegetical um, 
material. And also it's going to deal with that big question that we have when we talk about rape, incest, violence is where's God? Because that's what people want to know. Like why, why hasn't God protected? So, um, my two, my go-to books would be Phyllis Tribble, but my second one, I'll, I'll leave it at that, would be Leah Schultz, which came out in 2017, The Absence of God and Biblical Rape Narratives, because it hits it straight on the uh, straight on the head. People want to know where is God. And I just want to say that on uh, add this piece that we only ask really some when it comes to where is God, um, when it comes to issues like, like this, like the rape, right, and the um, incest. Um, a lot of times people don't ask where is God when it comes to issues of, say, um, oh, I would say most recently some of the political stuff that's been going on. We'll say, so we, we will sort of, or we will blame God rather, let me put it this way, we will blame God for um, the evil of humanity. And we'll say, okay, God, you're not there, so you allowed it, so you're the blame for it. But we don't do the same thing with other areas. And so I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that even though we may not feel like God was there, and sometimes people feel like God, you know, God allows it, means that he sanctioned it. I would, I would encourage you people to sort of think through that a little bit more. That Because things are allowed does not mean that God approves and that God is absent. It just means that the world is evil. I think we need to sort of separate those two. Um, God gets a lot of blame for the evil of humanity. Mm-hmm. He he does, and and it's it's funny because I was thinking the other day. You know, people say, "Well, why did God create a world like this?" And it's like, "Well, He created a perfect world, but humanity didn't want that. So yeah. essentially, He's sent into the world, and He's letting us navigate and choose. Like He gave the He." he allowed them to have a king because they wanted the king and then they had to see how that plays out. And I, sometimes I think that God is letting us deal with the consequences of our own choices. So we'll see yeah. that what he gave us in the beginning was what we really needed. Yeah. And I think also that you know, we're suffering from our consequences, but I think also God is, is pushing his church to do something. Mm-hmm. To to really get out of our comfort zone, we we rather talk about Daniel and the lion. I've heard Daniel and the lions then so many times, <laughs> and and can someone talk about Judges nineteen? Can someone talk about Genesis chapter thirty four? Can t- someone talk about Second Samuel chapter eleven? Can we talk about the other books in the Bible? Can someone talk about healthy sexuality in Song of Solomon and how it's okay for a woman to talk in a very explicit manner about how much she desires someone that she deeply loves? I don't know. Seems like we have some time to do that. <laughs> you know, these are, these are this all in the Bible is for our instruction. So we need to use the scriptures. And I think God is pushing us to get more involved in these areas, even if we're uncomfortable. If it's not, un- if it's comfortable, then it may not be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful. And I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. Thank you, Professor oh, Day. This has no been problem. such a rich conversation on tackling uh, text of terror and I know that people will be blessed by it challenge and we hope that through this you start to tackle these texts in your preaching thank you for listening to this session thank you Professor Day thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast I hope you enjoyed this episode 
You can tune into all our past episodes at www.ju3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.